0: Today's scripture reading is found in 1 Samuel, chapter 9. Take a moment to turn to the text in your Bible to follow along. The reading will also be on the screen behind me. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of Becheroth, son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward he was taller than any of the people. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to Saul his son, take one of the young men with you and arise, go and look for the donkeys. And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and passed through the land of Shalishar but they did not find them. And they passed through the land of Shalim, but they were not there. Then they passed through the land of Benjamin, but did not find them. When they came to the land of Zuth, Saul said to his servant, who was with him, come, let us go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. But he said to him, behold, there is a man of God in this city And he is a man who is held in honor. All that he says comes true. So now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, but if we go, what can we bring the man? For the bread in our sacks is gone, and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered Saul again. Here I have with me a quarter of a shekel of silver and I will give it to the man of God to tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he said, come, let us go to the seer, for today's prophet was formerly called a seer. And Saul said to his servant, well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. As they went up the hill to the city, they met young women coming out to draw water and said to them, is the seer here? They answered, he is. Behold, he is just ahead of you. Hurry, he has come just now to the city because the people have a sacrifice today on the high place. As soon as you enter the city, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat till he comes since he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now go up for you will meet him immediately. So they went up to the city As they were entering the city, they saw Saul coming out towards them on his way up to the high place. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, Tomorrow about this time I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have seen my people, because their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, tell me, where is the house of the seer? Samuel answered Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for today you shall eat with me, and in the morning I will let you go and will tell you all that is on your mind. As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all your father's house? Saul answered, Am I not a Benjamite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? Then Samuel took Saul and his young man and brought them into the hall and gave them a place at the head of those who had been invited, who were about 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, bring the portion I gave you of which I said to you, put it aside. So the cook took up the leg and what was on it and set them before Saul. And Samuel said, see, what was kept is set before you. Eat, because it was kept for you until the hour appointed that you might eat with the guests. So Saul ate with Samuel that day, and when they came down from the high place into the city, a bed was spread for Saul on the roof, and he lay down to sleep. Then at the break of dawn, Samuel called to Saul on the roof, up, that I may send you on your way. So Saul arose, and both he and Samuel (coughs) went out into the street. As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to pass on before us, and when he had passed on, stop here yourself for a while, that I may make known to you the word of God. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Praise be to God. All right, long text, long text. Just a, a heads up, we're going to be covering a little bit more text in the coming weeks. We realize that if we don't speed up, it will take us eight years to finish First Samuel, and that, that's okay, but maybe there's some other things to, to get into as well. So jumping into today, someone at work uh, this week, they sent me this meme. And, does anyone know what a meme is? I'm, I'm learning. Uh, so they sent me this meme, and this meme uh, said that the let's circle back after the holiday season has begun. Have you guys run into this like at work or in your friend circles where you know, someone says, yeah, let, let's circle back after the holidays. I had several clients tell me that uh, this week. And, and I look at my watch and I'm like, man, it is November 15th. You know, there's a lot of time between now and the end of the year. So I don't know uh, what everyone does for the next six weeks. Uh, it's always stumped me, this, this kind of thing. Uh, nothing seems to get done at the end of the year except for end of year reviews and appraisals, right? Many of you are going through this process now. You're either getting them or you're writing them uh, for your team uh, in, in your workplaces. And, and interview reviews are a fascinating thing. Anyone else in the middle of this? And this could be a company. It could be a team uh, standpoint. And some goal setting is good. Like, I, I, I'm a big believer in goal setting, although my, my perspective on that's changing over time. I'm not ready to, to say it publicly, but my, my view of goal setting is declining. That's a conversation for, conversation for another day. But there's this fascinating thing uh, that can happen, and you've probably not done this, but you've probably experienced, and it's this combination of of things, and and the first is is this thing called backsplaining. And it's a very technical word, backsplaining. I I totally made this word up. Um, And essentially, and it's just, I'm going to pick on leaders. I'm going to pick on leaders. What happens is the leader loses their memory, and they completely forgot, or they actually have no idea how it is that they got to where they are. And this could be a good thing. It could have been a good situation or a good year. It could have been a bad situation or a bad year. They just forgot how they got there or don't know. Uh, but since they're a good leader, they have to have an explanation. They can't just say, I don't know how it is that we got here. And so they look backwards and they make up something that makes sense in, in terms of their narrative, right? And then they say that convincingly with conviction uh, to the team. So step one is not knowing how you got there. Step two is since you don't know how you got there, you make up a new plan for next year, looking at what's going on around you, looking at going on. Uh, around you, and then you convincingly deliver that to your team. If we can just, I know this happened last year, the the wind temperature was off, and the elections and all of this kind of stuff, but if we can just do this this year, then everything's going to be okay. We're going to be prosperous, we're going to be successful, whatever the case uh, may be. Uh, And this is kind of similar to what Israel did last week, what we saw in the story. Things get a little choppy in their story. And we look at, at Samuel's sons who are doing some, some crazy things, and the leaders say, this isn't good, which is a legitimate, legitimate complaint. And they start the back They seem to have forgotten how it is that they got where they are, that the Lord had delivered them where they are, that the Lord had rescued them, had kept them safe for 20 years uh, without their help, if you remember, over the last uh, couple of weeks. And so they're feeling insecure, and they start to look around at how all of the other cultures are solving their problem. And they say that looks pretty good. Everyone else has a king. I think that we need a king. And if we can just have a king, then all would be well. And surprisingly, the Lord grants this request, or it seems surprising to me. And so we're gonna kick off a new part of the narrative in Samuel this week as we start to look at uh, this introduction to Saul. And Saul has uh, some positive attributes as we start to read about Saul at the first of the narrative. uh, He seems to kind of match up with what the people are asking for anyway. So he's from a, a, a good family. He's, he's handsome uh, to what, for whatever that's worth in, in terms of leading. Uh, we see he shows some humility in his interaction with Samuel. So there's some good things that we're seeing about Saul. Uh, but the majority of what we learn about Saul uh, kind of gives us pause. He's, he's, he's not from the tribe of Judah, which if, if you're a student of your Bible, you know that Uh, The kings would come from the tribe of of Judah. We're told this all the way back to Genesis. In verse 2, it starts talking about, uh, from his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the other people. Now, that sounds like a really strange thing to say. Like, from the shoulders up, he was taller. But the word that they're using here uh, actually means pride. And it's the same word that Hannah used in her prayer back in chapter uh, two, back, uh, her song in chapter 2. And so we kind of have this hidden meaning in Saul's potential uh, to have this big head and to be f- prideful. And he would fail any leadership test that any of us would be familiar with. I don't know if you got that from, from reading the story. I've been doing a lot of interviewing lately. We're going kind of through kind of this growth spurt and just interview after interview after interview. And so as I was reading the text, the first part of the text, I really couldn't help but hear um, this story through the lens of having an interview. And this interview is not going really well as we're reading about Saul. So it kind of goes like this. So, so Saul walks in and the interview team says, okay, Saul, welcome. Like, we're glad that you're here. Uh, thanks for applying to the role. And Saul says, yeah, I don't really know why I'm here, but I'm glad to be here. It's like, okay, all right. Well, let's, let's start with a few questions just to kind of get to know you a little bit. Tell me about a problem that you've solved to Saul. And he goes, I know. Well, there was this time when I was looking for my daddy's donkeys. Did you find them? No. No, but I looked hard. I looked hard. They found their own way home. Like, oh, okay. Well, you know that this role is traditionally for a shepherd, right? Like the, the people who would take on this role, you, you, this would be shepherding. Uh, and you weren't able to find your donkeys. Yep. Mm-hmm. I'm aware of that. I'm aware of that. Okay, well, let's try, let's try a different one. If you had to solve a problem, just walk us through your thought process in terms of how you would go about it. Well, that one's easy. I would ask a servant what to do, and he would tell me Is servant an expert in problem solving? Uh, what do you mean? Okay, all right, well, let's switch to something a a little bit more clear. Let's switch to spiritual uh, direction, and we're going to start with an easy one. Who is the spiritual leader of our people, Saul? (sighs) I'm not sure who the spiritual leader of our people is, but I'm sure that servant would know. You should ask him. So he seems to be unable to act. Like, if we're looking at this from a leadership standpoint, he's going to be the king of the people. He seems unable to act, unable to solve a problem. He's hesitant to consult God. In fact, that we, we learn that he doesn't even know who, who Samuel is. And Samuel's the person by which the word of the Lord comes to the people. doesn't know who he is, and he's really easily swayed by his servant in the story on where to go and, and what to do. And mind you, uh, I don't know how old you think Saul is. I was looking at this. Scholars think he was around 40 in this story, so we kind of have this picture of the young David, so therefore Saul must be this young guy. Saul is a grown man, right? He's not a child, and he's not even a young man. Um, so, but in, in fairness, at this point in the story, we don't really have enough information. It's not fair to judge Saul, uh, because we know two things. Uh, these things by themselves aren't indicative of any outcome. They're not indicative of an outcome. So strengths or, or weaknesses, whatever he has, uh, we're dealing with the kingdom of God, and God can work in incredible ways uh, through a broken person, through a person who doesn't have strengths or leadership abilities. In fact, he often chooses to work through people like this, does he not? What drives a person's role, we also know, and their experience in God's narrative is not those things, it's actually their response, their response in humility to what is being asked of them. It doesn't have to do with their circumstances. So is is Saul going to so he has he's going to have a choice. Is Saul going to choose the way of pride? Is he going to live up to his tallness, so to speak, as we looked at the first of the text? Or is he going to choose the way of humility, which we do see him kind of modeling in his interactions with Samuel? Is he going to trust God or be swayed by his servants? We will see. We'll see. Um, But it's going to be his choice. Our our circumstances and our abilities or our gifts don't dictate how God will work through us, through you. Our response to what he asks us to step into, our obedience and our faithfulness, is a choice. And it's counterintuitively, the work of transformation happens through that obedience in that circumstance. It's in the trusting, not in the outcome or the change of circumstance, that God is shaping you into the image of Jesus, which brings us to Samuel's response. So we're not going to get to see Saul's response this week. We're going to see that in a couple of weeks. And it brings us to Samuel. And this story, this kind of change, reminds me of the story of the prodigal son, in in a sense. Have have you guys read that that parable in the New Testament, Uh, where essentially you think the story is about the, the lost son, and then you realize it's equally, if not more so, about the son who stayed And I think the text this morning is is as much about Samuel's response as it is this introduction into Saul as we're going to see uh, Saul become uh, king here in a few weeks. Samuel's in a tough set of circumstances. He tried to tell the people that this was a bad plan and they rejected him. His sons are a mess. Uh, God decided to give them what they asked for in a king, which was probably, I'm guessing, confusing um, to Samuel. He just met Saul, uh, probably not impressed with Saul. Uh, Saul had never even heard of him, right? And so God's chosen prophet and how the word of God came to all of Israel, Saul's not heard of him. And he's supposed to give Saul the mantle to lead the people of Israel. This is probably a a really difficult thing to do, or so we think. How would you respond to that? I was thinking about that this week. I would have trouble. I would have trouble with this one. But Samuel's response is humility, and obedience, uh, which is pretty, pretty humbling, and I'm speculating, but I'm guessing Samuel didn't understand that why God is choosing to unfold the story in this way. These circumstances would have been super tough, especially for a person in Samuel's position. Samuel is presented with a prime if-then scenario here, just like the people of Israel were presented with this. If we can just get a few things in order, then everything's going to be okay. This guy's not quite ready for this, so if I can just train him up, then it's going to be okay, right? This if-then scenario that we like to put in front of God when God asks us to step out um, in faith. But he follows the Lord anyway, and he does it immediately. Immediately. He, he gives him his place of honor. He gives him the portion of food that was meant for him. He gives him his spot at the table, which would have been culturally very significant here. And then he gives him the word of God at the end of the narrative, today, which is a big deal. He teaches him. He sits down and walks him through what the Word of God is going to mean for him. So we get to see Samuel's choice here. He chooses to trust, and he chooses to be faithful to what the Lord asks of him. He seems to be so closely tied to the Word of God that it's indistinguishable. The Word of God, the will of God, and Samuel's choices. Indistinguishable. No wavering. No if-then. Just obedience. What, What drives a person to do something like that? to have that kind of alignment with what God is asking for. Samuel seems to have this different orientation, does he not? We've kind of seen it earlier in uh, the, the story of Samuel. We're seeing it here. He has this different orientation. And, and there's several things that we could look at in terms of God's response in chapter 9. He could, we could look at his sovereignty and his attention to details, his, his mercy in hearing his people and responding to their situation. We could look at him... Uh, making the point that he's retaining his kingship. So I don't know if you caught that in the text, but he used the word prince instead of the word king, indicating that he is not giving up his mantle as king of Israel, that Saul is going to be a vessel by which he continues uh, to lead. He cares about every element of this story, even though that doesn't make a lot of sense in terms of how we got here. And so we could look at that, but I really want to look at something that we can learn about his way of working. God's way of working, and this invitation that we have to respond to that. We talk a lot about whole-life disciples being transformed by the way of Jesus. Have you guys heard us mention that? We've talked about that a little bit. And in Samuel's, uh, we see a shadow of Jesus' way that will be perfectly lived out in Jesus in response to God's way of interacting. And it has to do with these opportunities to trust, these opportunities for faith, These opportunities to lay down the if-then statements and then respond in faith when circumstances and giftings and cultures and everyone else says that it doesn't make sense. Even if there's a candidate for a king who can't find his daddy's donkeys, there's an opportunity to step out in faith. And these opportunities to trust them, they don't just come up when things aren't right. They're, They're not just something to overcome as something God has to adjust to or, or tweak his plan for, they appear to be deeply connected in, to, to how God interacts us with at, at, at a very base level. Because they're throughout Scripture and they're throughout your life if you really stop uh, to think about how it is that God's interacting with you. It's, it's, it's a deep design in terms of how God interacts with you. And in the book of Samuel, we've seen these opportunities to trust since chapter 1. And most of the time the people choose poorly, and we see Samuel choosing wisely, and we see Hannah um, and Elkanah, in some sense, uh, choosing wisely. And so it reminds us it's the shadow towards the life of Jesus, and, and looking at the way of Jesus and every opportunity that Jesus gets to trust the Father, he does it. Similar to what we see with Samuel here. He chooses humility over pride, Jesus does. A choice Saul is going to get to make in a few weeks, and we'll see what it is that Saul chooses. He shapes his life around being with and hearing from the Father so that when these opportunities and these trials present themselves, it's a clear choice. It's a no-brainer for him. He reacts instinctively from a place of being with the Father. The basis of Jesus' way is that his will is in perfect alignment, or rather, his, his will is in perfect submission to the will of the Father. Perfect submission. And Jesus knew the will of the Father so well he knew that this way of working this constant opportunity to step out into faith he knew that it was going to be a problem for us he knew it was we're not it's not intuitive to us it's not what our response is the kingdom of god is kind of upside down and so he talked a lot about this that these opportunities to live in faith shouldn't be a surprise that they should be something that you look towards that you that that you find joy in and in every new generation uh, we're going to get the gift he talks about it in terms of a gift uh, to get your own opportunities and trials and tests to be able to respond to what God is asking you to do, to trust God in these radical new ways. You're going to get your own ways to trust God in your time, in your place, in your context. But our brains are not wired. My, my brain is not wired for operating in this kind of way. It, 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 seems, it sees things I don't understand or trials as something to be fixed, something to get past, And if I can just get past that, then if I can solve that, if I can order that, uh, then I can get that speed bump out of the way, and God is on the other side of that thing rather than in that thing. But God doesn't operate the way my brain uh, does, thankfully. Uh, He says, "I'm, I'm the thing. And this situation or trial is not keeping you from me. It's actually an invitation into something that you could not see without it. It's an invitation into something that you could not see without it. It's an opportunity. It's an invitation into flourishing. It's not something to get past in me on the other side. And so this is a major change in how you might experience the day, is it, is it not? Like if my if then is I can get all these things in order, that, that's definitely mine, uh, then I can have some version of peace or contentment that Jesus was, was talking about. And he says, no, 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 no. I, I, trusting me through these things is is what you're looking for. It, it's the experience that you're actually looking for. It's the opposite of our, of our instinct, which brings me to this tree. And I should have a picture of it. All right. Brings me to this tree. And this tree, this is in my yard. This is in my front yard. And how old would you say that tree is? Any guesses? Handful of years? Four or five? Five years? Yeah? All right, so we got this tree seven years ago, and we actually got it uh, out in front of the impact center. And the city of McKinney was doing some sort of tree, tree day or arbor day or whatever, and we really like trees. We have a lot of trees uh, on our property. And so we got one of these trees, and we took it home, and we planted this tree. And when we planted this tree, the tree was exactly the same size as it is now. So joke's on us. If you work for the city, I would let... No, I'm kidding. I can see back there, Aaron. Yeah. So we got this tree seven years ago, and and we planted the tree. The tree doesn't grow. The tree just sits there exactly the same height that it was seven. It's fascinating, right? Because that's not supposed to happen. So I don't know if it's a dwarf tree, or I don't. It's supposed to be a big elm tree, but as you can see, it's just a very long, very long path uh, to growth. And so it's the same. It's the same size. So it has access to the same sunlight and the same rain has access to the same soil as all the trees behind it that are big and beautiful and, and, you know, providing beauty to our landscape. And so this tree, it just sits there, right? And so it doesn't, no birds nest in the tree, like the, the, the branches are like this big, you know, so like the squirrels make fun of the tree, like they can't, they can't get up in the tree, <laughs> throw things at it or whatever. And so this, it's been the topic of discussion lately, like should we cut this thing down? Actually, we cut this tree down. uh, Or or pull it up, rather. It's not big enough. (laughs) It would stick my chainsaw. Like, I'm probably, you know, should we pull this thing up? And we've decided to leave it. And we've decided to leave it because the Lord has used this this tree to just do some amazing work. We walk by this tree every day, right? Two, three times a day, uh, our family walks by. I walk by this tree. And for the past several months, I've looked at this tree, and it actually had it in my notes up until Friday. I've looked at this tree as as related to the story this morning in saying, what is the tree waiting on? What is the tree waiting on? It it has everything that it needs. It has an opportunity to respond. There has to be some sort of if-then scenario here where the tree is waiting on something that it doesn't have to, that the tree could grow up and, and be the tree that God has created, this tree, to be, and there is something wrong, this tree needs to be uh, fixed, it needs to repent, as far as trees, as far as trees go, um, and so there's like this metaphor that we can learn from that, right, because there, there likely is, and we're going to spend some, some kind of lingering time in prayer at the end here, I guarantee, because I had several this week, there, there's an if-then that's between you and the Lord, There is an if-then, that if you're just waiting on something to happen, if I could just get here, if I could just have this amount of money, if I could get married, if I could go to college, if so-and-so would just do this, if so then X, Y, Z, the Lord could use me, the Lord could... There's some if-then, and so I think that that's a really great metaphor uh, for us to to learn from. And I thought that that was the end of the tree uh, until Friday. And I walked past this tree... Sad, gosh, it's sad. I walked past this tree and I had it some time to, to, to do some extended time with the Lord. I was so grateful for that on, on Friday. And I felt the Lord tell me that my ways are not his ways and that I'm looking at the tree all wrong. I'm looking at the tree all wrong and I'm missing the beauty in the tree. So I had viewed the tree as something to be fixed. And he said to me, through this story this week, maybe the tree is being faithful in its circumstances. Maybe I created this tree to be exactly what it's meant to be, this weak little tree, and through this weakness, I'm going to reshape your life through this scraggly little tree. And so I'm like, I already had my notes written, so that can't be, that can't be right. Right. <laughs> So maybe instead of fixing it, I just the Lord just kept working on I me. Mean, maybe instead of fixing it, maybe I need to behold this tree. Maybe this tree is giving us a picture of Samuel here, where Samuel is in circumstances that make absolutely no sense is taking the, the, the route of humility. Maybe this tree is pointing us to the way of Jesus, where God uses the weak to shame the wise, right? He he uses these, these small things. And it really rocked me, you know, looking at the tree. I'd had it all wrong. And what, it hit, what really hit me was, um, I don't have very good vision. I don't, I don't have the ability to see uh, in the way that, that God does. My first reaction is to fix this thing. And God is saying, I've created this, this beautiful tree that you're missing the point. You're missing the beauty of it uh, because you want to fix it. And so these, these stories, they... There's a constant reshaping of our inner story any time that we interact with God. Any time that we're in the presence of God, He's reshaping uh, this this inner story. And we are becoming this new creation that we really already are. So you both are a new creation in Christ and you're becoming a new creation in Christ. But it requires this major renovation because we can't really see clearly, can we? We see the tree as something to be fixed. We don't see the tree as being faithful uh, to what God's called it to be. We don't see the tree as being courageous. And any dramatic change in one's story, it always involves some element of risk. It involves some element of uh, faith. I, I was listening to this interview with a monk this week, and the guy says, I don't have, any, I don't have time for anything but God, not even for other good works. And he was talking about prayer. He was talking about his orientation has to be such that he is with the Father so much, that his, his time is with the Father so much, that, that the things just naturally flow out of him. The will of the Father is in alignment, or his will is in alignment with the will of uh, the Father. And so we see that God has created you and rescued you. He's made you a new creation out of love. He's made you a new creation out of love, not, not a necessity. Not a necessity. And so you can lay down your if-thens. You can be at peace in your circumstance right now. Right now. Everything that you need to change your life is sitting with you in the chair that you're sitting in this morning. Isn't that a wild thing? Like what you're looking for, you can find today. And so I want to spend a little time just in some lingering prayer. That's what I call it. We're just going to spend... 10 minutes or so uh, in some lingering prayer, and, and you can shape that time however you would like to shape that time. Or if that's something that's new to you, just kind of spending uh, time with the Lord uh, in, His, in His presence, um, I'll facilitate a, a little bit, and you can kind of follow my, my prompts. You don't have to, though. And I just want to examine ourselves. I want to examine ourselves before we step into uh, communion, and, and it has to do with with, with this tree and, and I realized in, in this lesson that the Lord had to teach me uh, that it's not at all in how tall the tree is or how small the tree is it has everything to do with the tree's response it has everything to do with the tree's response God has everything he needs so what's our response going to be? this morning. And so we'll spend some time, and and I want to start it kind of, and this is kind of, you can break into however you would like to spend this time in prayer before we take communion. And I just, I like to start with acknowledging who God is. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. So I, I like to kind of step into prayer if this is kind of a newer experience for you. I like to step into prayer with just acknowledging who God is. Who, who is it that I'm talking to? These, these kind of songs that we sang earlier, a thousand names. God has so many aspects about Him. Who is it that you're talking to? So let's spend some time acknowledging God and who He is as we step into kind of a, a, a time of prayer and being with Him this morning. following the prompts, let's, let's speak honestly with the Lord this morning. Let's be honest about the if-thens that are between us and Him. The things that we need to get in order, the things that we need to have happen, the circumstances that need to change. If I could just get past these circumstances, God, then I can do what you're asking, and I can be with you. If I can just get past this addiction, Lord, then you would accept me Speak honestly. can bring your cares you can speak honestly with the lord and as you're speaking honestly you can ask him directly to deliver you from that to give you a heart for that help you to see differently for me this week i just realized my my will is not in alignment My will is not submitted, I want to fix things. Ushers, you can you can come forward. And we're going to walk to get our communion, and ushers, you can go ahead and and start to break people off. And as we're as we're walking, as we've Acknowledged who God is and, and spent time speaking honestly and directly asked, directly asked Him to free us from some of these things. I want us to think about trust and think about faith as we're walking to the tables of communion, as we're grabbing the elements that are the basis by which we can believe that we can trust Him. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you care about every detail I was just thinking about all that you put into orchestrating me walking past a tree everything that had to happen the care that you took to walk me past that tree and then using your creation to change my perspective to give me a vision of you that I didn't have you care about every detail And so we bring these things to you this morning. We speak honestly, we ask directly because you've told us to and because we trust you. Because you've made this way, you've made us a new creation for those who follow Jesus. And we wanna step into that. We wanna have hearts that are in alignment with yours. We wanna have wills that are in submission to yours where when we see things, all we see is what you're asking from us. And our satisfaction and our contentment come from just being with you, whether the tree's small or the tree's big. It doesn't matter. Help us to be like that. Help us to embrace the way of Jesus, to trust that his way is better. We love you, Lord. Thank you for this space. Thank you that you use even the smallest things to change people's lives.
0: We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.